Thank you for tuning into the Monocle Dynasty Podcast, where we keep an eye on Dynasty football. Your hosts, Crescent and John, dive deep on players, rankings, strategies, and much more. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Monocle Dynasty. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the Monocle, where we keep an eye on Dynasty football. The only thing is, tonight, we're keeping an eye on redraft football. It's, it's going to be our first redraft episode. Uh, this is a new foray that we're doing. I don't even know exactly what to say. Like we, we have not done redraft yet. I haven't even looked at redraft until I started doing the re, uh, research for this episode. So it's, it's definitely going to be a new thing, but obviously we have new listeners coming in. Um, even, even for dynasty purposes, looking at redraft tendencies and stuff is pretty important. And, and you know, getting a redraft mindset at this time of year is pretty important. So we're going to do that. We're going to be talking about our redraft sleepers and our redraft fades. Um, we wanted to bring on a guest, a special guest, and it is someone that I, a good friend of mine that I, I met through a, a home league, and she has actually grown her way all the way to the Dynasty Nerds. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Alexa? This is at Alexa Trade Talk and uh, how you became a part of the Nerds and, and everything else. Thanks, John. Yeah, um, actually just recently had two of my articles published on at dynastynerds.com. Um, I've been listening to them for about three to four years now, and I've been interacting with them not only on social media, um, but leaving them questions to answer on their show. And they just wanted to get a little more female flair uh, to the Dynasty Nerds. So I actually started talking to Garrett Price at Dynasty Price, as I'm sure a lot of you know him very well. And he asked me if I'd ever thought about yep. writing. So now I'm a writer at Dynasty Nerds. It's pretty awesome. And Alexa, can you tell us like what were those articles about? Maybe give us give our, our listeners a little insight. What did you cover in those? Yeah, so my first article um, was about Dallas Goddard, who is my personal favorite tight end. I'm in seven leagues and I own him in six out of seven and I am trying um, frantically to acquire him in that seventh league and I just believe in the talent of him and I believe that not only is he a superstar, I, I believe truly that he should not have been knocked down people's rankings just because he went to Philadelphia and Zach Ertz happens to be there. Um, I really think that he's an athletic freak and Philly is just going to run a ton of two tight end sets. So he's going to get the ball in bunches. And I really think that they're just going to feature the tight ends in their offense and they're not really going to throw to the receivers as much. So I've felt the need to write an entire article about Dallas Goddard. <laughs> I, I actually have a question about that. So is there any concern at all about Zach Ertz getting that extra, that option picked up? Because, right, I know there's some concern from people that have Goddard that, oh, they thought, okay, we'll, we'll survive this year. He'll be gone and Goddard will just to the moon, right? Yeah, well, Minnesota and Philly were the top two teams for running 12 personnel uh, last year. And I really, I just see more of that continuing on especially because Philly has a couple of rookie receivers and then a couple of banged up receivers in Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson. Um, 
and honestly, uh, Ertz got banged up last year as well. And in his two years so far in the league, Goddard has proven that he can stay healthy. I believe he's played in 31 out of a possible 32 games in the NFL. So he's very durable um, in addition to being very athletic. So I think it's going to be a lot of Goddard and Ertz going forward in the next year or two. He's, he's definitely a beast. I remember, I think it was his rookie year, he had like an 80-yard completion against the Cowboys, taken back because of a, a yep. very, very weak penalty. But you can just tell from plays like that, right, you see those sort of sparks as rookies. Um, he definitely will be exciting. It, I agree. I think that he'll have more role than people anticipate because who would you rather throw to, Greg Ward or Dallas Goddard? And I think exactly. it's pretty easy to decide that. Exactly. Actually, I th- I think it was from the uh, Dynasty Nerds podcast today. I was listening to it, and I want to say they were the ones that were saying uh, Philadelphia is going to be like eighty-six million dollars over the cap next year. And I don't even know if that's—I don't know if that's the projected cap with uh, everything going on with COVID, or if that's the actual cap. But either way, that doesn't sound good. And so, if that's true, Zach Ertz, even though he got the extension, now we've been saying extension, extension, extension. But if that's true, and like like I said, this is me hearing something on a pod. I have not researched it or anything like that at this point. But if it's true, then that could definitely uh, be bad for Zach Ertz. <laughs> they would save five million cutting him next year, um, just like a, a cut, because his cap hit is twelve point four and his dead cap seven point seven. So. It's not a huge number, but if you're 86 million, you know, it might be enough. I I mean, obviously he got extended. Maybe it was just a restructure to like make things work, but either way, I mean, I think we've seen at this point, Goddard's probably going to be a top uh, 12 uh, dynasty tight end at this point. He was last year. That's not really saying much for tight ends. (laughs) Oh yeah, exactly. That's not really saying much. Somehow we're talking about Dallas Goddard and uh, and tight ends and dynasty on this redraft show. Uh, so well, I know we're just, I, we're I just trying even, to highlight her work, man. She's doing some great work. I want to hear about it. I didn't even introduce Crescent. He just jumped on. He's like, Hey, I want to ask this question. I'm like, I haven't even said your name yet. You, you're not allowed to talk until I say your name. <laughs> I'm like banished over here. He is. He is. I, look, it says introduce Alexa bring crescent on okay it's it's on the show sheet. i didn't want to pass up an opportunity i really wanted to hear you know talk about dallas goddard for a moment okay we never talk about him on this show all right so why don't so why don't we go ahead and bring crescent on now you know we haven't heard from him yet and <laughs> uh it's good to be here i'm glad to to kind of start shifting our focus to redraft i'm actually really worried about redraft right and i've i've talked to john a lot about this this week that i'm worried about a season completing um i'm a big big baseball fan and obviously I've been following what's happened with baseball and you see players even just leaving hotels and causing problems like with the Cleveland baseball team so I'm like imagine that happening with a team that whether you have 53 plus players all the possible issues it definitely concerns me obviously the college football season um, hanging in limbo is concerning as well I don't know there's a lot of uncertainty but the one thing I've learned or I've always heard and told, like when there's blood in the water, that's the time to strike. So um, this is a good time for dynasty players to kind of strike and make some moves and good time for, you know, if you want to kind of hang out and, and fade this season in dynasty, then jump into a redraft and, and not worry about it. Yeah, definitely. And honestly, like I, I actually, I told the, I have a home league, a redraft home league, and I told everyone that I was going to cancel the season because I just didn't want to deal with all the crap because I don't know about you guys, if you've ever commissioned or been a commissioner, but like when everyone starts bitching, 
not a fan. And I could see a lot of bitching this year. And so for a dynasty league, like I'm commissioner of, of a couple of dynasty leagues, like obviously I'm going to have to deal with it. Like nothing you can do there. But for redraft league, eh, we'll skip it until next year, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But obviously not everyone's going to do that. So let's go ahead and get into our redraft sleepers. And I'm going to let Crescent start this one out. This is this was tough for me. Like I, I wanted to pick someone who was very far back. Like I wanted double digit rounds, right? When we talk about sleepers, it's easy to pick someone in the middle of the, you know, the sixth round and be like, this is a sleeper. But to really win in redraft, you have to hit like you have to hit like on Lamar Jackson late in a draft or things like that. And there's a guy that I've actually bashed a lot. And I normally am not someone that depends upon rookie wide receivers because we already know like they can be very untrustworthy. Don't let last year fool you. Don't let the 2013 class fool you. With all that said, there's a guy that's going 166th overall in ADP. It's the end of the 13th round. Um, he's going wide receiver 63. And I just think there's so much opportunity for him. And that's Brandon Ayuk. And I like in dynasty and stuff, we talk about a lot of things like breakout age and all these things. He was a Juco transfer. He struggled that junior year um, behind Nikhil Harry. Last year, he balled out. The Niners w went out of their way to draft him in the first round. When, um, and there was quite a few teams, apparently, that had him with a first-round grade. I would say, like, we like that he has good draft capital. We like that he's probably second in line for targets. Debo is going to miss time to start the year. Like, all the signs are pointing to that. We already talked about the foot injury um, last, last pod. And I think, like, his competition is Pettis, who's in the doghouse, Hurd, who didn't play at all last year, Taylor, who's coming back from his own foot injuries, and then Bourne, who I actually think Bourne's a decent wide receiver, but he's not on the, the talent level that IU presents. And you add on the special teams ability that IU brings, right? You can pick up an extra touchdown here or there from some special teams plays. And we also talked about, like, Kittle last pod and the – percentages and opportunities of injury for someone like him based especially upon like the fact that he didn't get surgery to repair those problems there's a definitely non-zero chance that Ayuk is the number one target at some point in a few games this year and with the way that the Niners start against the Cards, Jets, Eagles the first four weeks I definitely think Ayuk can outperform that wide receiver 63 to even start and could be someone you can look to trade in redraft I know trading and redrafts tougher, but you can definitely look to move him above, like, because he'll be playing above where he might play out the rest of the year. Even then, I think you can expect back end wide receiver three, front end wide receiver four numbers from, from someone getting in the late 13th. I think that's a pretty solid deal. Yeah, definitely. Honestly, like I, I don't love Ayuk, and I definitely don't love him for dynasty purposes. But I think for redraft, like you were saying, at the very least, if he can get off to a hot start, then then you can sell him. Uh, I know trading isn't as prevalent in redraft, but I mean it still happens, and especially it it happens when people get to a hot start. Like it doesn't happen in like you know in week eight or anything like that. It happens in week four when everyone's like, oh my goodness! Like last year it was uh, Terry McLaurin, or like the year before, or maybe it was last year, John Ross. It was it was last year, John Ross. Everyone lost their mind about John Ross. People were picking him up off of waivers and trading him for you know a decent amount. And so you know you might be able to do the same thing with Ayuk and. You know, we obviously we just touched on uh, in the last pod, or, or at least uh, Dr. Porras touched on uh, 
you know, George Kittle and his injury concerns and everything. And, and I don't want to like overhype it or anything and say like, oh my goodness, he's going to miss the entire season or anything like that. But he could miss a couple of games and, you know, that, that doesn't help. So, but, and we know that Debo is going to miss time. Um, if he doesn't miss time, he, he has a very high chance of re-injury, like not, way more than even Kittle. So I do kind of worry about Debo and everything going on with him. Now it is still a low volume offense. So like, I'm not overly excited about him. Um, but I think that Crescent has kind of, you know, put it out there. Like you're drafting what 63 and you're getting wide receiver 36. Like that's not bad. It's still wide receiver three. It can get you through your bye weeks. Like it's not going to probably win your season or anything, but you're, you're basically paying nothing in, in, you know, the 13th round and you're getting somebody that can help you through your bye weeks or, or help you through a tough time or an injury or a COVID injury. That kind and, of thing. And remember last year, like two of Debo's biggest games that he had were those games that Kittle was out, right? The same type of thing could happen this year if something happens to Kittle again, which we've like we've already talked about. Like there's a there's a decent chance that could happen. So it's just something I like I don't like Ayuk's profile a lot and I've talked about it a lot on Twitter, but Alexa, what do you think? You think I'm off base here? You know, the one thing I have to say is a lot of analysts said that coming into the NFL draft, the one player that Ayuk reminded them of was Debo Samuel. And I think if Samuel's <laughs> out the first, you know, four to six weeks possibly, that Ayuk could be used in a lot of those jet sweeps and slants and bubble screens and stuff kind of close to the line of scrimmage that they just kind of want to get the ball in his hands and see what he can do after the catch. And if Debo's not out there on the field, I think Ayuk definitely has a great opportunity in front of him. All right. So why don't you go ahead and start us off with your first one, Alexa. Yeah, so kind of like Crescent, I chose a double-digit round guy uh, for my sleeper. Um, going in the 12th round at wide receiver 56 overall, uh, ADP according to ESPN.com of 154th. Um, is Mike Williams, who was a former number seven overall pick. He's actually going behind five, yes, five rookie wide receivers, Ruggs, Judy, Lamb, Rager, and Jefferson, um, who all could have a slow learning curve with COVID right now, no preseason games. I mean, I think that's incredible. He only had two touchdowns last year, and the dude is 6'4", like 225 pounds, I mean, that obviously is going to regress to the mean. Maybe it won't be double digits, but I see him somewhere in the six to eight, maybe nine touchdown range. Um, and with Phillip Rivers leaving, I think somebody can finally get the ball downfield. He should see improved quarterback play with Herbert or Tyrod Taylor, whoever takes over that job. Um, and lastly, I just want to say that I think that his body frame is going to be used in the red zone a lot more. And Philip Rivers' kind of slinging sidearm motion just wasn't really suited for Mike Williams' game. And I think Herbert can get the ball downfield to him. So that's why I chose him as my sleeper with that ridiculous 12th round ADP. So you're, are, are you assuming that Herbert's starting like very early? I'm not assuming that he's starting week one, but I think that by end of season, I think Mike Williams' numbers will reflect similar to Devontae Parker last year. And I believe that by at least week five, six, seven, number six overall pick is going to come in and start for the Chargers. 
And I think in years past, you may have seen a guy like Aaron Rodgers sit on the bench and sit for a few years, but not today. Um, I believe rookie quarterbacks are going to start right away. Well, tell that to Jordan Love. Um, (laughs) But I actually had a a question about this, Lexa, because you talked about some TD regression for um, some positive regression, right? For Mike. Yeah. Positive regression for Mike Williams. And my question is about that red zone stuff. Do you Mm -hmm. think not having Hunter Henry there the year before, like the year he had double digit touchdowns, right? Hunter Henry, I think missed, I think he missed that whole season. Um, do you think that's going to have an effect if Henry's healthy this year? Because Henry's a big target too, 6'5". And we know Tyrod loves his tight ends, right? Do you think that that could affect it? Like maybe he won't get those 10. Maybe it'll be more like six, which would still be positive regression, but not to what you were saying. I think so. But I think also everybody can agree that two touchdowns for a talented top 10 pick who's 6'4", 225, it seems a little low. Um, I think that's going to be tripled. I think it's going to be closer to six. But, I mean, if you look at the dude in college and then just look at some of his highlight reel catches, I mean, his contested catch ability is off the charts. All of his catches downfield are absolutely incredible. And last year, the Dynasty Nerds actually talked about this earlier today, 41 out of 49 of his targets actually went for a first down. And, again, I just think Phillip Rivers couldn't get Mike Williams the ball downfield. And first down leagues, that's uh that's pretty yeah. big. <laughs> um, the Scott only Fishbowl. concern, oh yeah, definitely that would be huge in Scott Fishbowl. Um, the only thing I'm actually Alexis in Scott Fishbowl as well. Um, did you draft Mike Williams? I did. I drafted him. I believe in the thirteenth <laughs> round. I went running back heavy early, and then I took my high upside wide receivers late. Nice. The only concern I really have is that even though you're saying that Philip Rivers and trust me, I watch Philip Rivers, like his, his arm is complete spaghetti trash, whatever you want to call it. But he's Mike Williams still averaged 20.4 yards per reception. Like that is ungodly unheard of, like whatever you want to call it. Um, Just to put into some kind of perspective, Calvin Johnson, never got to 20.4 yards per reception. In fact, his best, his best year was 17.5 yards uh, per per reception and like his average year was 15.9. So even though we're saying like, and I I agree with you, like he's going to have regression in the touchdown column, but is he going to have regression in the yards column as well? Because maybe rivers wasn't getting it down the field perfectly or anything like that. But obviously if he was getting 20 yards per reception, it was working out pretty well when it was working out. Um, The other issue I have is, if it is Tyrod for a good majority of the year, Tyrod's never had more than 450 uh, passing attempts in a, in a single season. Last year, Philip Rivers threw it uh, 591 times. So 591 times compared to 450, that's obviously going to be a huge difference. And it's, it's half the reason why I'm fading Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, and obviously even, you know, Mike Williams. It's just, I don't see the volume is going to be there. Not only that, but their defense is going to be amazing this year. Like they might actually have the best defense in the league. Um, And and now I know you're a Steelers fan. Don't get mad at me. When was (laughs) the last time that Chargers defense stayed healthy for an entire year? Every year it seems like they're just plagued by injuries. 
And that's 100% true. But, you know, we had Dr. Porras on last week. And if I said injury prone, he would get very mad at me. So I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so I'm just going to say they very well may have the best defense in the league next year if they can stay healthy. Um, but 591 pass attempts to 450 or something around there, even if it goes to 500, that's a huge difference. And so I'm worried about the passing volume. Now, it's not changing your argument. Your argument is wide receiver 56 to wide receiver, you know, 30 or something like that, whatever it is. I have no issues with that argument. Um, but I'm just saying I don't see the, the upside. I don't see the complete upside of it. And so I don't think, you know, once again, I don't think he's winning your league or anything, but he can be a good depth piece. He can good, be somebody that you're getting really late that's going to help you through bye weeks and, and things of that nature. I think there's there's upside to it. Like if he can provide you ten touchdowns, which right as a big target, and you even said like even with we know good defenses usually mean good teams, more wins, more wins leads to you know better opportunities for offenses, right? Like we we've seen that happen over and over and over. And if a defense can stop a team, put you in better field position, that also helps a lot too. That actually might be an interesting article to look like, look at, like in co- some correlations between those things, but. Um, I can see him being like that big red zone target. And I know I brought up Hunter Henry, but we also know Hunter Henry hasn't been exactly the epitome of health either. Right. So, and Keenan Allen, he's not injury prone. I don't want to ever say that he actually has been pretty healthy the last few years, but um, if something ever happened to him, once again, Mike Williams steps in, he's the number one target share on that offense. He's a big dude. I don't think he gets the 20 yards. Like I know there's a lot of air yards for Phillip rivers last year. Um, but I do think that that he he definitely has some explosive potential. There do there does need to be some things that need to fall in line, though. It's going to be tough, you know, to get ten touchdowns if the targets go down. But I mean, if it happens, that would be amazing. But yeah, ten touchdowns. I think there. I want to say there was only like what five receivers or something like that that had ten or more touchdowns last year. They might not even be five. So if he was able to get it with only like a hundred targets, that would be pretty amazing. But I guess anything's possible. Like I, I don't hate on his talent or anything. I just, I, I really feel like the targets are going to, the volume's going to come way down. And I, I don't love that aspect of it. And I am buying into the defense, whether you want to call them injury prone or not, <laughs> but that's going to bring us on to the next one. Um, I'm going with one that is probably, I don't know, as far as redraft purposes go, probably a little more controversial or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, it's J.K. Dobbins. I mean, but when it comes to rookies, obviously he's a rookie. When it comes to rookies, we want rookie running backs. We don't want rookie wide receivers. And I think Alexa was even, you know, kind of going that way. Like she said, Williams is behind five rookie wide receivers. You don't necessarily want that. But when it comes to rookie running backs, they do produce. And Crescent even, you know, put out an article or, or we, we did it on the pod um, and he, he did a lot of research on it. And he showed that second round running backs average 160 rushing attempts in their first year. But that was including every second round running back that wasn't injured. So like that includes the highs and the lows. So I'm expecting actually a lot more than that from J.K. Dobbins. We don't have any kind of comp, uh, combine info or anything like that on Dobbins, but what I do know is he's extremely athletic. He was a beast in college. And, you know, I've already said a million times, he's quickly risen the ranks to my number one running back in dynasty rookie. I'm sorry, number one rookie running back in dynasty. <laughs> and so 
He's actually going as the running back 36 behind guys like Rojo, Cohen, Carrion, Lindsey, White, and Henderson. Like I would take him over all of those guys and probably even a few more than that. But the point is, you know, if he gets – there was 596 rushing attempts last year on the Ravens. I actually could see that going up this year. They invested in their offensive line. They invested in their defensive line. Their linebackers, their running backs, and their defense a little bit more. And I just, I don't know, I have a feeling, but they've also talked about Lamar rushing less. So what do I see? I see a second round running back that they want to run the ball with. And, you know, people say Gus Edwards. Sorry, Gus Edwards is not, he's just a guy. He's a jag. He's just a guy. I know I'm going to get some heat from from my fantasy scouts on that one. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm saying he's just a guy. And I'm J.K. Dobbins is going to take over, at the very least, Gus Edwards' role. And I could easily see him taking over Mark Ingram's role. It might not be a hot start. You know, it might not be week one. Although I'm sure he's going to get touches and everything. But you're drafting him in, what, the ninth round at, at that point for what, running back 36. And, you know, you're not banking on your players that you're drafting in the ninth round at that point. So, you know, you're drafting him at pick 110, which is his average overall pick right now, which means you could literally be winning your league in the ninth round because I see him taking over that Ingram role. And then next thing you know, he's getting you – 15 points, 16 points a week that you drafted at 110 overall. But honestly, like just to be safe, we're talking redraft now. So just to be safe, I'd probably draft them a little bit earlier, maybe in the eighth round, maybe even the seventh round, depending on how your team's going, something like that. Probably wouldn't creep up higher than that. But I mean, I was looking at the guys going above them and I'd be fine going over any of those guys. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely agree with you, John. The one other thing I wanted to say about Dobbins that I don't believe you touched on is the transition from his college offense to the NFL offense is going to be impeccable. He's going from Justin Fields to Lamar Jackson, both run the run pass option. You know, the defense is going to have to account for the quarterback and it's going to be extremely smooth transition going from Ohio state to Baltimore. That's a great point. Actually, you know, and obviously I've thought about it, but I just completely forgot about it when I was doing my research, but that's a great point. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting to me that Akers is going above him and I feel like Akers situation is so much more. Um, murky. Yeah. Murky. That's a good word to use murky because right. We don't know how much Henderson will be used. We don't know. Well, I mean, they've already talked about using John Kelly. Ha, ah, like that will ever happen. But um, still like, I think, it's the same type of situation where there's three backs that are potentially getting touches. And if you talk about the Ravens, I mean, it's a similar situation. I, I like Gus Edwards. I mean, at least Gus Edwards seems to fit these systems really well. We've seen it over and over. The dude just produces right in this system. Um, he's probably a perfect second back is how I, I don't think he'll ever be like a feature back, but um, with all that said, I, I don't mind taking him that late. I would want to make sure I got Ingram as well, just as like a safety valve, right? Just to make sure, because I know we've talked about like worries about him being injured and, you know, especially at the end of the year, how he hurt his calf and any lingering effects and how old he is and all those types of things. But if I'm in redraft, I'd want to lock up that backfield. I am concerned though about just regression on the offense in general. 
right? We've talked about it before. Like we know they're not going to be, they were one of the best offenses all time when it came to scoring and everything. Right. So we know that's not going to happen again. And we've seen it year over year over year. Something always happens. There's always some reason that teams don't repeat on offense. So while I do like you're getting them in a rushing offense, I would be worried about that regression of the offense overall and trying to have those expectations of what the offense looked like last year. The only issue I have with saying grab Ingram as well is that he's going as the 25th running back at 74 overall. And like that could mess up your team. You know, now you're talking about, unless you're, unless you're waiting on like your second or third running back, now you might be messing with your team. Like I, I feel like I'd want to get my running backs early, worry about my wide receivers in that range, you know, quarterbacks, tight ends, whatever you want to say at the, in that range, and then go with Dobbins at, at that point. But, you know, unfortunately in redraft, Ingram isn't getting the, the fall off that he's going to get in dynasty, you know, that, that we're used to. So that's going to bring us to our fades. Like I said, I'm fading Ingram. I'm loving, loving Dobbins, fading Ingram. And so that's going to bring us to our fades. And I'm going to let Crescent start this one off with uh, his first one. All right. So to me, right, we've talked about like you, you don't really win your league in the first round. You lose it in the first round, though, or the first or second round. Um, and there's a guy going in the first round that I'm fading and I've, I mentioned it really, really early. And I wrote an article like months and months ago, but I'm, I'm bringing it back right now because I don't think, I haven't really heard a lot of people talk about this, but DeAndre Hopkins is going wide receiver three, number 11 overall. He's going to an offense that passes the ball less overall, especially the second half of the year. We saw, um, Cliff Kingsbury's offense kind of switch and become a lot more run based. We also saw it switch from the 10 personnel that everyone was so hyped and excited for, right? Four wide receivers on the field to running more 11 personnel. Um, Dwayne McFarlane, who I think it's context matters is like what his name, like his name is, but his handle is at D-W-A-I-N-M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D. He laid out this beautiful argument about the volume change that's going to happen for Hopkins. He did like all this different analysis of, you know, if you're conservative, if you're aggressive, things like that. And basically, he said, you're going to go from about 10.7, 11 targets per game down to probably nine targets per game. And that doesn't seem like a huge drop, too. But when you extrapolate that over a season, that's 32 less targets. And for a guy like Hopkins, who used to be a lock for a huge amount of targets, I think that's something to be wary of. Um, also, like he's going to a division that has much better pass defenses and much better number one corners. He's going to have to lock up with Jalen Ramsey again twice a year. Right. And we know that wasn't always the best matchup for him. He ran 47% of his slots and got 50% of 57% of his targets out of the slot. We know that's not really going to happen in Arizona because of the right. They're not going to be running it, the 10 personnel as much. They will probably be using more 11. Um, we know Larry legend is going to lock up the slot for them. Cause there's nowhere else you can put Fitzgerald on that field at this, at this age. Um, and we also know Kirk's used a lot more in the slot as well. So that means Hopkins is going to be out on the left flank. Um, and even though it's because of the people he had on the left flank, Kyler didn't really target the left flank as much. He targeted the slot a ton. And then one last little tidbit from number fire. Um, we said that 30, less than 33% of top 30 wide receivers that joined a new team outperformed their ADP. So you're banking on him being more of an outlier than traditionally what we see. I just think like I, I would expect more of a back end wide receiver one than the front end that a lot of people have grown to expect from DeAndre Hopkins. The only issue I have with it 
is how often do we see stud wide receivers go to a new team? It doesn't happen very often. It it happens. But like let's look at like Brandon Terrell Cooks. Owens. Terrell Owens. Like Brandon Cooks goes to a new team. He's a stud. Amari Cooper goes to a new team. He's a stud. DeAndre Hopkins goes to a new team. I expect him to be a stud. Now, I, I completely agree with you. Like he's been a target hawk. And I he's still gonna be that, but maybe he he has more competition. Maybe it's not as much. So like I don't I don't love I don't love Hopkins if you're talking about wide receiver one, but no one's talking about wide receiver one anymore. It used to be wide receiver one. Now Hopkins or Hill, who do you take? Oh, I take Hopkins. You take Hopkins? Alexa, what do you, who do you take? In Honestly, redraft, would, I'm taking Hopkins. I would take yeah. Tyreek Hill. I'm taking I'm Hopkins. I just I want that steady. I, I want that steady production. Hopkins or Julio? Julio. Julio. Guess who's going behind behind Hopkins? Oh, that's fine. No, I'm I'm right. not saying. No, I agree with you. Like he pro- he probably is going too high. I'm just saying. Like I don't know if I heard somebody saying he wasn't. Not you. I'm saying somebody else. Like somebody was saying he wasn't going to be a top twelve wide receiver, and I almost I see no way happens. of that happening. Like there's no way. Now you might say like. I'm, I don't want to draft him at wide receiver three, and that's perfectly fine. But there's no way that he's not a top 12 wide receiver. It's just not going to happen. I think there's a much bigger chance than people are willing to let on. But obviously, like I've already stated my feelings on this season in general. It's such a chaotic season that I, I think anything could happen. I think you could have Mike Evans outproduce him, and Mike Evans is going 10 picks later. Well, I mean, beyond like trying to predict when people are going to get COVID and miss games and stuff like that, like we're not trying to yeah. do that. You know, yeah. we're just saying like in a regular season, uh, like assuming no one's missing any time or anything like that, it's not like I cannot see a, a, a scenario where he is not a top 12 wide receiver. You might say like he's not top five, top six, whatever, that's fine. But I don't see him not being in top 12. And, you know, it's just, I don't know. He's probably going too high, but I don't hate it either. And it might be one – actually, you know, wide receiver three is probably a little too high. But what I would say is he might be one of those prime candidates after, like, week three when he hasn't been doing what he's supposed to be doing for. that you go trade for and you still get a top 12 wide receiver and, you know, you're trading away John Ross from last year like we talked about and, you know, like that kind of thing. Like, that would be amazing. <laughs> If you, if you can trade John Ross for, like, a guy that was, I don't know, Mike Evans, right? If you could trade John Ross for Mike Evans like they did, like, last year, they're the same situation, right? Mike Evans started really horrible. John Ross took off. Then whoever you're playing with probably should step away from fantasy. But um, I don't know about every league, but in home leagues, I swear you can do it because the, the clamoring for John Ross last year was <laughs> unbelievable. And the, I, I just – I couldn't believe it. I'm watching it, and people are bidding, like – you know, we, we do fab, fob, whatever you want to call it. And uh, people are bidding like $93 on John Ross. And I'm just like, really? John Ross, $93? And then like two weeks later, they drop him. And it's like, yep, I could have traded. I could have traded John Ross for DeAndre Hopkins and maybe like a little bit more or something like that at that point, you know? Alexa, you think I'm crazy here? Because you pick, you pick two guys that are behind him over him. Yeah, for fantasy purposes, I definitely like Tyreek Hill and Julio Jones in 2020 better than DeAndre Hopkins. Can we all agree that this is definitely a great move for the Arizona Cardinals football team? I'm not talking about fantasy football, but 
I mean, he should increase their win total by two, maybe three wins at least by himself. I Vegas mean, if has you... one, oh, one okay. win increase. Well, if you listen or watch the fantasy footballers, they celebrate almost on a daily basis. <laughs> DeAndre Hopkins going to Arizona. It is hilarious because they're so excited that he's going to make their team better. And he's really going to open things up for Kyler running the ball. He's going to open things up for Drake running the ball. And he might take away attention from Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk and maybe even Andy Isabella. So I, I definitely think it was a great offseason move by uh, the Cardinals possibly trade raping Bill O'Brien. That was uh, pretty bad. So we went over Crescent's fade. How about you, Alexa? So my fade is going to be a running back in the mid rounds that I just see absolutely zero upside on. And maybe you guys disagree, but going at running back 22, pick number 67 overall, which is going to be in the fifth round, I picked Devin Singletary. I just think in that backfield with Josh Allen running the ball, Zach Moss, who they drafted in the third round running the ball, and then Devin Singletary, they're all going to vulture each other. And I'd much rather take guys like Jonathan Taylor with a high upside or possibly even your sleeper, J.K. Dobbins, John, going a round or two later. I just think they have so much more upside. Another guy, Kareem Hunt, going right behind Devin Singletary. They have league-winning upside. Devin Singletary, could he be a low-end RB2, mid-range RB3? Possibly, yes. But I don't think he's going to win you a league, and that's why I'm just going in another direction in the fifth round. Then you look at Zach Moss, who they took in the third round of the NFL draft. Moss was a top 100 pick. He was the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. I mean, they drafted him for a reason, and Frank Gore even stole some touches from Singletary in 2019. I expect, I expect Moss to take the Frank Gore role and kind of expand that a little bit. And that's why I'm using Singletary as my fade. Yeah, I completely agree. I honestly, like I, I, I know he gave you some, uh, some gruff or whatever you want to call it on uh, Mike Williams, but there's nothing wrong with this take. Like <laughs> Zach Moss, will probably take over that that backfield if I had to guess like maybe it's not going to be a, a you know full takeover or anything like that it's probably going to still be a split and single Terry did I say single Terry Jesus Christ single Terry still has his <laughs> man we'll let you restart there um John's still drunk from all those shots he took celebrating the 5,000 listens oh you know? yeah so that he's, was he's recovering oh you what the the liquor hits hard when you're when you're celebrating 5k so singletary has never been much of like an actual running back like a legit running runner between the the tackles or anything like that but he can catch the ball like he has a little bit of burst he has a little bit of explosiveness that kind of thing so i'm gonna say he he will stay on the field but i don't i don't love him i i, I see nothing special or anything like that i love I don't love Zach Moss either, but I don't know. I don't love that. I think you even said it. Like, I don't love that backfield. I don't want a piece of that backfield necessarily. But if I want a piece of that backfield, it's going to be Moss. It's not going to be Singletary. It's going to be Josh Allen. That's the piece of the backfield you want. I don't even want that one. You can you can have that one. <laughs> oh, here we go. I actually, I no joke, Alexa, because you guys actually wrote on the 
the script before me, I had already thought of writing Devin Singletary. Um, so I'm a hundred percent on board with this. Like I'm, I'm full Moss, you know, I am, I, I disagree with John. Like I actually think Moss, Moss can catch the ball too. He showed it in college. Like he had a decent target share as a, as a college running back as well at Utah. Um, and you outlined, like you wrote in the notes, some things right about him being offensive player of the year for the PAC 12. Um, his, obviously he's shown great ability. I know the ball blast girls talk about him. I mean, I think they go a little overboard with Moss over Mixon, but I, that's, you know, that's their own take, <laughs> but I do think Moss could definitely be like your, you know, he can be your RB three easy. Like I, I would trust him. And I know you mentioned Josh Allen, but you know, I, I think it was one of, one of them that was one of the ball blast girls that was talking about on Josh Allen's rushing attempts in the red zone they handed the ball first to Frank Gore and Frank Gore just at this point of his career, just can't punch it in. That's going to be Zach Moss instead. And I think Zach Moss can probably punch in a lot more of those than Frank Gore did. And that's going to affect Josh Allen's reps rushing upside. As far as like his TDs, that's one of the reasons I'm actually starting and don't tell John this, but I'm starting to waver a little bit on Josh Allen's fantasy outlook um, because of that. But that's because I've fallen so much more in love with Zach Moss as a result. I told you from the start that I was okay with Josh Allen this year. I just don't think he has any long-term and that's going to a dynasty thing. Like this is, this is redraft, redraft, but redraft. This is from the same person that says Lamar won't be on a team in his sixth year. So. That's also true. See, Alexa, can, can you talk some sense into him? You said that Lamar Jackson won't be in the NFL in his sixth year. I yeah I, I did. it won't be Actually, starting he said starting because of injury or because you think yeah. he's just not that talented well I think Creston made the the important point of starting you know like we've seen it happen with so many uh first round picks we've seen it happen with Winston Mariota uh you know recently like obviously like there, there's plenty others like we're talking about Trubisky not happening soon like there there's plenty of quarterbacks that gets drafted in the first round and everyone gets really hyped on them. And then within a year, it, all it takes is one season, one season, Trubisky even like Trubisky was pretty good in 2018. And everyone was like, all right, Trubisky, Trubisky. And then 2019 happened. They're like, he's the worst quarterback in the NFL. We have to start Nick Foles over him. Cause you know, he's great. That kind of thing. So yeah. Tell me Lamar can't fail when he hasn't done anything except for run in the NFL. Except put up like one of the most efficient seasons of all time. Yeah. And, and Didn't guess he what, lead guess the NFL in the, passing touchdowns last year? Guess what happens with efficient seasons? They regress and then they don't happen again. That's the problem. People John, have, if, you can, if you can name me an MVP, like an MVP in their first, I'll give you first four years that didn't last another four years as a starter, I will be surprised. Well, I'm gonna make that I'm, your homework. That's me, me as the teacher asking. Yeah, yeah. There's your homework. Yeah, I, I obviously I have to look it up, but yeah, I'm not saying it's guaranteed. I'm saying I don't think it's going to happen. That's all I'm saying. Okay. So it just it doesn't feel right. It we're we're like getting off track now. How'd we go from I know Terry to Lamar? It was Josh Allen. It was the Josh Allen effect. <laughs> oh well, Josh Allen's garbage. Like he's legit garbage. At least I'm giving Lamar. Like he can be a, a starter for a few more years. Like <laughs> Josh Allen's not going to be a starter like next year. So come on. <laughs> Speaking of trash, 
Uh, we have obvious names like Dalvin Cook. We have people like that. Mark Ingram, we talked about earlier. But I'm going to go with George Kittle. He's going off the board at uh, 22 overall. That's way too high in redraft. Like He's going ahead of Eckler, Jacobs, Mixon, Cooper, DJ Moore, Galladay, and Thielen. Now, I'm not a huge Thielen fan, but for some reason, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like with everything going on that maybe he's going to like have one last season, and I don't want anything to do with him in Dynasty, but in redraft, I'm like, yeah, I, I can feel it. I, I can see it happening. Obviously, go back and listen to the, to the pod with uh, Dr. Portis, with, uh, with Kittle, talking about Kittle. He obviously has the re-injury risk in his shoulder. I mean, he's, he's had just about everything injured at this point. But honestly, even more concerning for me is he has more competition than he's ever had. Like, he, has, he still has Debo. Like, obviously, we know Debo has injury concerns of, of his own. But he has Ayuk. He has Trent Taylor coming back after missing an entire season. Um, maybe even a little bit more than that, actually. Uh, he has Jalen Hurd, who's now healthy, which everyone apparently loves or did love like a month ago, and now I haven't heard his name in like a month. And then we have Jarek McKinnon, who no one talks about except for the Dynasty nerds. And, you know, like that. And, and so, but they're all vying for targets. Those players, besides Debo, were not there last year. You're, like everyone was banking on, on like all these crap players that were there last year. And now, like Dante Pettis and whoever else, and now we have Ayuk, Taylor Hurd, and McKinnon. So, like, tell me that that uh, that Kittle is going to get the same amount of targets that he always does, or that he did last year. I don't see it happening. I love Kittle's talent. I don't love his injury risk or anything like that. But honestly, like with going at running or going at tight end twenty two or or twenty two overall, I should say tight end two, twenty two overall. I feel like I would much rather get somebody in the 11th round or later as far as a tight end and go one of those running backs, like, like I said, Eckler, Jacobs, Mixon, somebody like that in the second round and not have to worry about that position because it's a lot easier to get a tight end late than it is to get a running back late. I 100% agree with you on the ADP. I'd much rather take Kittle in the third round than where he's going in the back of the second. Uh, however, I don't really agree with you about the injury aspect. I mean, he's played in 45 out of a possible 48 games. And up until last year, he only missed one game in his first two seasons. I think after signing that contract, I think that with Debo out, I mean, at least the first half of the season, he's just going to be absolutely peppered with targets from Jimmy Garoppolo. I feel you on, on not drafting Kittle in the second when you can get a guy like Dallas Goddard or TJ Hawkinson um, in the double digit rounds. It just really, unless it's a tight end premium league, it really doesn't make any sense to me. I I agree about that. Like I'm much more of like a a spray and pray when it comes to redraft tight ends. Um, Cause I think you can always find like that, that Darren Waller type of situation or someone that's going to break out just by doing something like that. I will say though, I disagree a lot with like, if, Kittle's healthy, he's going to get the targets, John. The year, so two years ago, right, his breakout year, 25.5% target share. Last year, 27% target share. All that comes back to how Shanahan runs his offense. 
when he has a top dog, a lead dog, we saw him do it with Julio, right? We've seen him do it now with Kittle. They get the targets. Like, it doesn't matter who else is there. They're going to get the targets. And it's just the way the offense runs. Like, it runs through someone. And that's who it runs through in this in San Francisco. Who are the receivers, though? I mean, last year you're talking about a rookie Debo and an Emmanuel Sanders that came over halfway through the season. And then in, in 2018, who was even there? Dante Pettis. Like, who, who, was, who else was there? I don't even remember. Who's there this year? Who changes that? I just told you it's it's Ayuk, Taylor, yeah. Hurt. <laughs> you're talking about Trent Taylor, who – God, like, what is he? When was he even drafted? What has he done in his career Trent, that makes him any Trent special? Taylor, Trent Her, Taylor, no, like, Trent Taylor, and Jarek McKinnon. Who? Oh, Jarek McKinnon. I'm sorry, I forgot about the guy who hasn't played in Jimmy two years. Oh uh, yeah, okay, but Jimmy G just this week is talking about how amazing he is and Trent Taylor and how much he missed him. So who's Jimmy me. G's best? fucking friend in the entire nfl i'll give you one clue his name rhymes with biddle <laughs> no, i don't disagree i'm not saying like i, I didn't I was jimmy g argument. show up to camp with a george kittle t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> he did that's what right. i'm saying like george i had this kittle argument earlier i'm not i'm not saying i'm not saying that george kittle's not going to get 100 targets or whatever I'm saying he might not get as many targets as he had. He might not have as great of a season as he had. And I'm fading him for that reason on top of the injury concerns that we already discussed on the last pod. I'm not saying – like, he's still going to be a top five tight end. Like, no one's like, no one's dropping him that low unless they're just idiots. I'm saying he's going to be a good tight end. I don't know that he's 22 overall. Like that kind of okay. value. I, I can see, but the way you phrased it and way you put Maybe it, was I like, phrased oh, it like he, yeah, like, you know, these no name guys are all of a sudden going to be taking targets away from the bit like second best or second best pin on who you're talking about, right? Tied in in the league. And I just, I just don't, do not see that happen. If George Kittle has under a 25% target share, right? Barring injury and everything like that. So I'm talking about active games where he's played, then I'd be shocked. Like, like I said, I took, I went through, they threw the 90, the ball 90 times in the two games he missed last year. I subtracted those and I looked at like his targets compared to the, the pass attempts. And it was 27.7. Like that's insane numbers, right? Like we can, we can all acknowledge that we know, like not everyone gets anywhere near those numbers. So obviously he won't be getting a 27.7% target share. That would be wild. Like that would be league winning even at number 22. Right. But if he's under 24.5%, I would be really surprised. I still think he's getting a very good amount of targets, a very good amount of target share. Like, that's really healthy. And you're not going to find too many tight ends that are going to be doing that. I think the problem is, is that it's still low-volume offense, you know, once again. And so if you start – that's why I'm saying if you start throwing in those other guys, it might not be a huge difference, but it might be – 30, 40, 50 targets here or there. And next thing you know, in a low volume offense, that makes a huge difference. And that was my whole point. But more more so, it was the 22 overall, like I 22nd overall. Like I can't get behind that. When you're when you're talking about running backs, like starting NFL running backs that like Mixon could be a workhorse and get 300 touches and you're going to take a tight end over him. No, please, please do not do that. I agree. But if you say that about about Kittle, what about Kelsey, who's going above 
Chubb, Sanders. Players he's like at that. least going. He's at least going later. I don't love it, but he's at least going later. I still wouldn't take Kelsey, but I mean, you know, like once again, like he he's going later. I think he was going at thirty, um, if I remember correctly. But you know, I yeah, Kittle's, I, I'm still Kittle's taking twenty two, and Kelsey was um, fifteen. So yeah. Oh Kelsey. Oh Kelsey's going. Oh never mind. I'm sorry. He's going thirty in uh, Dynasty. I think damn Dynasty. I think the main reason people are you know, jumping to take that tight end early, though, is the positional advantage it gives you on a week-to-week basis. Um, you know, you guys mentioned we like punting on tight end, and I think that's just the mindset. That's why he's going so high, is people think that the Gronkowski effect from, you know, a few years ago, taking Gronk at the end of the first, it just gives you that weekly, you know, positional advantage at the tight end position. I personally am not a fan of it, but I think that's the rationale behind most redraft players no it definitely makes sense i just i just don't love it i i would much rather take a running back there like i said i would much rather take mix in there and then get a a tight end in the you know 13 11th or 12th or 13th or something like that i mean you talked about goddard and hawkinson and fan like any of those guys are there Janu goes like pretty pretty late so you can get any of those guys and um I wanted to mention, uh, mention a couple other guys. Like, it's not a huge deal or anything like that, but uh, these guys are all going in the 13th round or later, and I feel like they all have, like, a lot of upside. And it's Paris Campbell going as wide receiver 63, 166th overall. And then we have uh, Denzel Mims at wide receiver 70, 169th overall. We have Jarek McKinnon, who we just talked about, at running back 56, 170th overall. And Chase Edmonds at running back 63, 171st overall. Like Chase Edmonds going at running back 63 is absolutely insane to me because Kenyon Drake has no history of being a starting running back for an entire season, running 300 times or having 300 touches or anything like that. Chase Edmonds should be going so much earlier at the very least, but I love all those players. I think uh, Alexa might have even uh, written some da- some down that she liked, like sleepers in the late rounds. Yeah, no, I agree with you on the Chase Edmonds for sure. I actually took him in the Scott Fishbowl in the 13th round. Uh, you said it yourself, Drake has never had more than 170 carries, and that came last year. That was the first time he ever has done that in his career. Um People blame that on Adam Gase, but I truly believe that he's not a workhorse running back. And I think that with Chase Edmonds going so late, I mean, there's really no downside to just grabbing him that late and just throwing him on your bench. And who knows, Drake goes down, he could be a league winner. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, Alexa, what do you think about Jared McKinnon? John like salivates whenever he hears his name. So I want to I want to get some other people's perspectives because we don't often have guests. So it's nice to hear some other people's thoughts. So John salivates over him because about a year and a half ago, Jarek McKinnon took a photo with his shirt off, and he was absolutely <laughs> shredded. And wait, wait. John- so so should John be all over Austin Eckler then? You would, would think be so. If he John actually- really likes the shirtless photos of Derrick Henry, Austin Eckler, and Jarek McKinnon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 
I don't mind the the late round ADP of McKinnon. I mean, at that point, it's just a dart throw, depending on how many bench spots you guys actually get in redraft. I know sometimes it's six bench spots, sometimes it's eight. But, I mean, is there a downside to a 16th, 17th round draft pick of Jarek McKinnon? And, you know, if, if Raheem Mostert goes down, then, I mean, he could have tremendous opportunity there, especially with Debo out this year. You, you know who's going behind Jared McKinnon? Joshua Kelly, right? Joshua Kelly, I think, could be someone that's like I, – I think Joshua Kelly probably has a higher chance of getting more touches in, a, in the season. Um, I doubt that. I, I like Joshua Kelly as far as, like, you know, completely late round in, in Dynasty. But in redraft, I want nothing to do with him. He, he, like, he might touch the ball 100 times. And it's going to be 100% rushes. He's not going to catch the ball whatsoever. That's Austin Eckler's job. And you're talking about Jarek McKinnon in PPR leagues catching the ball 60, 70, 80 times, something like that. You if think he's Jared McKinnon's getting 60 catches? All right. With that volume, maybe not. But it's going to be a good amount. <laughs> it's gonna, no it's wonder be- you're so low on Kittle. No, it's going to be a good amount. It's going to be a lot more than people expect. Although I did see a poll on Twitter earlier, and and uh, it was, would you rather take Raheem Mostert at his ADP or uh, Jarek McKinnon at his ADP? And it was like 53 to 47. So I feel like people are starting to get behind McKinnon now that we're starting to get some camp hype and the fact that he's healthy and all that kind of stuff. But the thing is, I've been there for two years. Like you guys don't get to jump on the bandwagon now because like, I've already been there. That's that's crap. <laughs> hey, I threw a third round pick at a team in one dynasty league and got McKinnon. I mean, at that value, I think it's great. And then in terms of redraft, I think the PPR upside is there. Most people nowadays play in the PPR leagues, but uh, back to Joshua Kelly real quick. We're going to find out real soon here on Hard Knocks on HBO how much the Chargers actually like Joshua Kelly if they think they're going to use him on the early downs and still keep Eckler on the field or put Eckler in the slot. um, I think he has tremendous opportunity and we might find out in the next week or two on hard knocks. If uh, the chargers really like him. Yeah. I'm going to be, I I mean, if they, he looks really good. I might sell the hard knocks hype. Right. Cause I have him in a couple of leagues, a guy, you know, there's a guy we didn't mention at all that I think, I mean, I think his number, his draft position is going to improve. He's 49th running back off the board right now, which is kind of really, really late. Adrian Peterson. Yeah. Yeah, within the past few days, he's jumped up quite a bit. And everyone wants to go to Gibson. But, you know, we've seen it time and time again. It ends up being Peterson. And, I mean, even when you don't want it to be, it's still Peterson. Now, that being said, I don't know. It's still a bad offense. It's still – you know, it's still an old running back. I don't know that I want to like invest in him, but I mean, I guess if you could throw him a, a third at him or something like, oh, that's dynasty. We're talking about redraft here, but yeah, I mean, if in, in dynasty purposes, if I could throw like a third or something and get him, yeah, I'd be okay with it. Double digit round. I mean, the only thing is, I don't know if the Washington Redskins are going to be in many positive game scripts. I feel like they're going to be playing from behind, and I'm not really sure that at this point in his career, Adrian Peterson is going to have that pass catching chops especially with mckissick barber love gibson all might be yeah exactly pass catchers i really just don't want any part of the washington football team's backfield 
I think McKissick actually can present some value there, like you were saying. Like, and you know, we have a new offense. They have a new offensive coordinator there, so we don't know what's going to be how it's going to look. It's not going to be that traditional round and pound that we saw last year. We have Scott Turner, who was at least like throwing the ball to running backs, right? I mean, he had Christian McCaffrey. It's hard not to throw the ball to Christian McCaffrey, but I, I think there there's opportunity on that team as much as like we want to say like oh they're they're such a shit team like the dolphins were a crap team too and there was opportunity right like there's always opportunity no matter how bad teams are um peterson's interesting just because he he's just such an ageless wonder right like he's like frank gore except he's still producing um i don't know how long that lasts but he's he i mean i don't know if you guys watched a lot of him but he he still looked pretty damn good last year and if something like if this team finds a way to to get in the red zone, like you could see, I don't know, maybe seven, eight touchdowns from him. Hey, I'm not fading anybody in the double digit rounds, but we also have yeah. to mention that the Washington football team's offensive line is going to be in the bottom third of the NFL. They're not good and they got even worse this off season. It's true. Very, very true. Yeah, I'm just kind of avoiding those situations. I'm avoiding the Redskins or, or the Washington football team. I, I'm avoiding Tampa Drink. Bay. I, I, yeah. I'm avoiding every, Tampa Bay. Every time Bay. you say Oakland or San Diego or Redskins. That actually is <laughs> well, a really good drinking game. It is, but I'm not, I've actually been pretty good about the rest of them, but like the Washington football team so new that I still mess it up. <laughs> I'm used to it with the Cleveland baseball team. So that's, that's kind of how I, I'm, I'm already kind of been framed for it, but um, one, one last one. We, I, I gotta, I gotta mention them every time I want to hear Alexis thoughts, Patrick Laird. Do you think he could be the pass catching back in Miami? Tell me I got some hope. You have no hope. Oh, <laughs> The pass catching back is going to be Matt Breida. Stonehands not- Jordan Howard's not getting any of the passing down work, but he should get the look on first and second down. Um, this offseason, Miami's already praised Jordan Howard. I don't know why. But I think the future of the Miami Dolphins running game is not on their team. And for this year, they're just going to piece together a combination of Breida and Jordan Howard and then – if you want to throw Patrick Laird a couple of targets. And I guess your point is Brita could go down and who knows. No, but. That's not my point. Brita is not a pass catching back. Like we look at his history, college, NFL. He's not a guy that catches the ball. Patrick More Laird More so is. than Jordan Howard, for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, John catches the ball as much as Jordan Howard does, but <laughs> right. Like that, that's, I think that neither of those guys are pass catchers. That's, that's my point. Patrick Laird is a pass catcher. That's what he thrives on doing actually from college to the NFL. I actually have a 73% completion rate, but um, <laughs> no, honestly, like Matt Breda, he's not a pass catching back, but everyone wants him to be because of who he is. Like he's fast, he's small, like that kind of thing. But that, but if you look at what he's done in college in the NFL, he's not a pass catching back. I I want to believe that people can get better at certain things in the NFL and stuff, but like it's the NFL, it's not college, it's not the XFL or anything like that. Like you should already be at that point or at least close to that point when you get there. And Breda is not. So 
I don't know what the answer is. I, I do not want to believe that it's Patrick Laird. But Patrick Laird makes a lot more sense than Jordan Howard or or Matt Breda as far as like as far as the receiving back. <laughs> and to be fair to our listeners, these are like the last people you draft. These are not people you would take anywhere outside of like literally your last pick. Um, yeah. So I think really that's it. There there is one question I had. We can maybe close on this thought: is which rookie running back is going to be the best for redraft? J.K. Dobbins, you already heard it first. No way. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is going to be the number one rookie running back, and I think he's going to be a top five redraft running back. Whoa. Now there's some fire. But where are you drafting him and where is he finishing? Because you're probably drafting him as a top 12 at the very least. Yeah, he's going in the back of the first right now, and I'd take that all day. Yeah, but you're moving up. You're moving up five spots at that point, or you're taking J.K. Dobbins and you're moving up like twenty. So give me Dobbins all day long at that price. That's why I love him. I actually am starting to warm up to DeAndre Swift a little bit. Uh, I think that there's definitely some real opportunity. And the more I think about like targets and things like that and rushing, I think like he might have. He might. I mean, behind behind. Edwards Hilaire, I think Swift might actually have some really good opportunities that we're, we're overlooking in a lot of ways. I don't know. He's still going as a running back 24. I feel like that's kind of where he's going to finish. I mean, he, he, he'll probably, I would say he'll probably finish a little bit ahead of that, but is it going to be enough to really make it like, Oh, he was a steal or, or like he, he really helped your team. Cause if you draft a guy at 24 and he finishes his running back 24, it didn't hurt your team, but it didn't really help your team either. I mean, he's he's going pick 72, so that's the end of, what, this, the sixth round? The back end of the sixth round? I would say, like, I think he can do better than RB24. If I'm, if I'm being legit, I think he can get over 250 touches. I think he can probably get 270 touches combined rushing and, and pass catching. A decade of Lions running backs disagree with you, but I hope for your sake that you're right. <laughs> so that being said... This is our first attempt at redraft. You can tell that we are not quite ready for it. <laughs> we keep bringing up Dynasty, or at least I do. Um, it's uh, it's just one of those things, like we're a Dynasty podcast, but we're trying to do the whole redraft thing. We're trying to help you through the season, and uh, you have to get into the redraft mindset when you get uh, towards the season or closer to the season. So uh, we that's what we're trying to help you do. We're obviously going to be doing the Patreon uh, secondary pod coming up very soon. And so we would love for you to join the Patreon. I guess we're having a name change. Um, I, I, I don't think I can put it out there yet. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not putting anything out there yet, but I, I think we're having a name change, not to the monocle, not to the podcast, but, uh, but to our fantasy football 24 seven crew and uh, in that team. So uh, join the Patreon. We have a lot going on there, including the Patreon chat and everything else. Uh, but the Patreon chat is on fire. Like everyone gets involved all of us, but then all the Patreon members. In fact, Alexa, you know, like you, you're a part of the Patreon uh, with uh, Dynasty Nerds, and you can say how fire that stuff is. Like, obviously, it's different Patreon, but like people get involved in that stuff, right? Oh, it's amazing. And they just came out with the new Dynasty GM tool, which is mind blowing, where you get to compare your team to all the other teams in every single one of your leagues. And it, it's just incredible. You, you get so much more on the Patreon. Uh, than you do on the free pod but 
um, you know, people want to win money. And most importantly, people want to win bragging rights, just like me. (laughs) My big trophy that John, everyone can't see it, but John helped me win this by letting me defeat him in the dynasty playoffs. So we keep reverting back to dynasty, but that's really why we play is for the bragging rights. And that might be the biggest flex we've had on this entire like history of this show. (laughs) She just straight up pulled it out on you. Oh, she did. And, but the the best part is she, she, what, like she doubled her points that week, like her average points that week and and beat me. (laughs) It's oh yeah. It's the Ryan Tannehill cup because the year prior, uh, Ryan Tannehill had gotten traded uh, before the, uh, before the Super Bowl. He got traded, and then he didn't even get played. <laughs> oh, God. It's off the rails now. But, all right, so, Alexa, where can we find you? We talked about your first article. What was your second article? Real quick. Uh, you can find me at DynastyNerds.com and also on Twitter at Alexa Trade Talk. Second article just came out earlier this week. It was five double-digit startup gems. So that's strictly for Dynasty. Obviously, redraft listeners might not have as much interest, but in Dynasty, we're all doing startup drafts during quarantine. A lot of people are working from home, so it's five names just to target in the double-digit rounds of your startup Dynasty draft. Yeah, I checked that out. There were some good names to it. Alexa knows what she's doing. Uh, she, She... She's not scared to go all in on a season by any means. And she knows what she's doing. Um, (laughs) It's just one of those things where, you know, you you can't have that fear, but I appreciate you coming on and um, we're going to go ahead and, and cash out. It's not about winning trades. It's about winning championships.